He's got a big country pumpkin face. Some faces are made for stardom, some are not. This is true. Mitch's is not. Hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, the one-stop shop for news, views, and every reactions to all things NFL. I am your substitute host, Harry, because Connor is busy with real life and education and making better for himself. So myself and Fitz are here to be dissolute and rakish and fun. Uh, this week we're going to talk about, you know, football, uh, the return of Josh Gordon, uh, a couple of serious injuries, um, and a really interesting signing that's happened around the league. And then, of course, we're going to have our usual reviews, previews, questions, and general overreactions to stuff. So we've got uh, Ronan on the line from Cork. Hello. And we've got me. Hello. Um, how are you getting on, Ronan? Any news? No, it's pretty quiet down here. Uh, obviously not the best weekend for a Seahawks fan, but apparently Cork is now the center of the culinary universe. Three Michelin stars, and Ooh. of course... Every Cork person who talks to these days is going on about it because Cork people, of course. That's very on brand for, for Cork. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, look, what are you going to do? Um, look, let's get, let's get cracking into it, I think, you know. Uh, nobody really cares about what we're doing, let's be honest. That's <laughs> why we always keep telling Connor. But... Yeah, he really wants to know. I think this is just like Connor's trying to like catch up with our lives so he can pretend he knows what's going on. <laughs> You know, you're far away. We don't see we don't see each other that often because we're all quite busy. So now Connor's like, oh yeah, no, no, it's a good good chance, a good chance to chat and have some talking points for when we hang out. Um, so yeah, let's get on to our main main story of the week. Of course, Josh Gordon. Uh, he's back for a whole thirty eight yards. Uh, New England also that's the number of points they got thirty eight to seven win against a really lost looking Miami team. Um, this uh, opened up a huge amount of New England players in the passing attack. We got Randos getting touchdowns everywhere. Corderell Patterson scored a touchdown. That was bizarre. Ronan, I've heard that as part of his off-season regimen, Josh Gordon has been training with Medusa in Greece, and now the mere presence of him turns defenders into stone. Is this true? Yes, Josh Gordon, master of the universe, of course, trains with all manner of supernatural beings and natural beings. He is not above <laughs> conversing with mere mortals, but including Bill Belichick, uh, who he has deigned to, to assist in his great victory uh, quest. Uh, but yeah, it, it, like we're not going to review that game, but uh, it could be one of the fact that that Miami defense, which had looked okay during the first three weeks, suddenly just turned to dust, turned to the most statuesque. And yeah, Cordell Patterson basically did a you know, on the field punt return off a catch. And that kind of gives you an indication of how bad the Lolfins were this week. And after all those hot takes, New England are done, Miami, maybe they're legit. The AFC East returns to its usual programming with the Jets, Biff Bills and Dolphins all getting absolutely smashed this week and New England riding into what looks like another uh, postseason of joy. Yeah, it's great. I've really learned not to panic about stuff anymore in the early season. <laughs> it's like, oh, we just got blown out by the fucking Lions. You're like, ah, look, it's fine. It's fine. We get to play the other AFC's teams. It'll be a thing. Like, just because I think this is a, this is genuinely, you know, we're waiting for the Pats. Well, I'm not, but a lot of people are waiting for the Pats to finally crumble into dust and for this, this dynasty to end. And I think this was, again, we saw the hopes coming up in the media narratives, and we've seen it for the last few years of, oh, they're done. They're done, like you mentioned. Like, this really is going to... This looks like this is going to be the way in that division. This is going to be... Whoops. It really looks like it's going to be the way in the division for the foreseeable, right? Like, until either Brady or Belichick or both go, like, it, there's something... 
these these other three teams just aren't looking like they're going to progress. This looks like another season of futility for all of them. Yeah, they're all kind of, I would say, not optimal organizations. And I think it's just the fact that New England have been on top of them for so long that probably creates some additional instability. But I think even accepting New England being bad, they're, they're not the best run organizations. Uh, they're a bit trigger happy with changing coaches, uh, haven't made great decisions in the draft. It's just, yeah, New England's had a bit of luck and their luck has also been used to maybe induce a sense of panic in that division for over a decade now. Uh, long may it continue, says Harry. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I just think that's an interesting sort of, you know, uh, continuation of, of what we've seen and the, <laughs> the the dominance continues. And it's weird because in other divisions, you know, where you had like teams like the Steelers and the Packers in the, in the ascendancy for so long, even then there's still been occasional teams that have risen to the challenge and knocked them off once or twice and it just doesn't seem to happen like the only time really in, the, in this era obviously was when Brady got injured and the Pats still went 11-5 and five and missed the playoffs on tie breaks so yeah it'd be interesting to see I suppose in the future when Brady and Belichick are gone if, if as you say that becomes the key thing that there's just something psychological about being up against this dominant team that forces these teams to think short term and panic but uh, you know we'll see as like you said long may it continue so you can That's tell your we, Josh Gordon update. Yeah, you can tell we don't have any real news. <laughs> Josh Gordon update. Yeah. If Carrie has his way. Josh Gordon. So Connor comes back. Josh Gordon update. Main yeah. news every week. Uh, it's okay because now Josh Gordon's drawing all the coverage. Now Edelman's going to come back and uh, he's going to draw the coverage off Josh Gordon. It's going to be great. But we'll talk about that uh, later. So let's have a swing over to the injuries. And um, there have been some bad ones. Um... I guess we'll start with, with Seattle, where things are already going pretty badly. Uh, we saw Earl Thomas suffer a fractured leg. He's gone for the season. Tight end Will Disley, who came out of nowhere and looked really good for a couple of weeks, has injured his patella. He's gone for the season. Uh, also worth noting that Thomas, as he was being carded off, flipped off what I presume was the Seahawks bench. Is he is he done there, Ronan? Yeah, well, I think we were all expecting him to be done regardless of how the season went. But I think given you know he held out specifically talking about the injury risk because obviously he had a major injury two years ago that he had to come back to and now the worst that's happened you know obviously he's always been an emotional guy he's always been someone willing to you know say what he wanted to say didn't give a shit about what anyone thought about him um and in this case you know he's like been like you know you're you're fucking dealing with the fact that you know exactly what you feared worst has come true you have like the coach coming over probably giving a dose and stuff like that but you're like I'm fucking pissed right now. Like, they could have traded me, they could have paid me, they could have done something, but instead, I'm going to have to go through a whole off-season of rehab and have no idea, probably, of what value I'm going to get in the free agency market next season. There's going to be a downside less than I was going to get. And I think with the news that was coming out, that I think they were, we'd say, were quite close to a trade with the Chiefs, which is something Connor talked about last week, mm-hmm. you know, that's probably not going to make his, uh, you know, serial go down any, any easier uh, this week. Um, so I think it's a really hard hit for Seattle because he was playing out of his mind. He was playing really well. He was playing as we expected to. I think the difference between Earl Thomas being there and not there could easily be a touchdown per game. So Seattle, a team which was really on the bubble maybe of wildcard contention at best, is probably now looking at like at best kind of ending up maybe like seven and nine, eight and eight, and kind of ending up you know watching other teams duke it out in January. Uh, the Will Disley one shouldn't be underestimated. Patellar injuries are notoriously difficult to recover from. It's a really harsh blow for a promising rookie. Uh, I think it's the same injury that uh, Jimmy Graham got a few years ago, yeah. although we don't know the details um, on terms of the, the, the degree of the tear, uh, presumably the tear of the patellar tendon 
although we'll soon talk about maybe the bone instead. But regardless, you know, those kind of injuries can be hard. They can sap your dynamism. Now he's got rather as a blocking tight end, but maybe you see it there. But yeah, it's it's a sad way to see the end of the Legion of Boom, but it's to a certain extent an appropriate way uh, because that was always a, a, a Legion that was, you know, pretty ostentatious, willing to go out there. And the fact that, you know, that they didn't just walk into the sunset to some way it's sad, but it's not un- unexpected considering what's happened with Sherman and Chancellor over the last couple of years. So really sad for a Seahawks fan, but the memories were great and I, I wish we were all the best, whether he's at the Seahawks, probably not, or elsewhere next season. Yeah, that's actually a good point. He is the, the final member of the Legion of Boom, so I suppose that is quite definitively the end of that era in uh, in Seattle. Um, Tyler Eifert at Cincinnati suffered a particularly gruesome um, injury. Uh, so we were watching uh, on, on Red Zone uh, separately, and we had a, the chat, and then I think I was a few seconds behind people because I paused it to uh, to go and get something earlier. And I just saw this comment in the in the chat. It's like, fuck! And I was like, what? And then 10 seconds later, they showed uh, Eifert's leg pointing in essentially the wrong direction. And I was just like, Jesus Christ, that's disgusting. And then they obviously went to the slow motion replays, and it's like, nobody needs to see this. It's, it's an awful injury for a guy who has had like a lot of injury problems in his time and um, he was struggling initially this season but like he was coming good in that game he had 75 yards previous week and just scored a touchdown uh did a celebration where he pretended to open the ball as if it was a can of beer uh, uh, for this to happen it's it, it, it's 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 huge blow for him personally probably not gonna have a massive impact on cincinnati the team they have a lot of depth in that role and we've seen them uh, succeed earlier in the season where eifert was not really a factor but uh yeah just another injury for a guy who's, who's struggled with him over the last few seasons it's very sad to see uh, so wishing him and Thomas and Disley the best in their recovery. They're all exciting players. They're all players we like to see on the field. Um, I mean, we'd be wishing them well even if they weren't because, you know, we don't miss <laughs> wish malice on anyone except the rapists. And none of these guys are, as far as I know. So, yeah, uh, hopefully he can bounce back from this. A couple of other season enders we had. Um, probably none of them as significant, so we'll just fly through them. Cornerback Patrick Robinson of the New Orleans Saints suffered a... a had, had gone... Uh, had an ankle injury and has had to go for surgery. He's done uh, Devon House in Green Bay, cornerback as well. Shoulder surgery, done for the season. Uh, Cleveland cornerback Terrence Mitchell, who was having a pretty nice start to things, uh, broke his arm. He's also likely gone for the season. Uh, these are all cornerbacks, actually. Aaron Colvin in Houston did his ankle. He's gone for the season. Uh, Tampa Bay safety Chris Conti uh, has done his knee. Now, this is really stupid, actually. Um, I don't, Chris Conti played two games with a PCL tear. Um, of course, he's gone for the seat. Like that's irresponsible of the of the organization, yeah. to be honest. And no matter how he much had a player to wants to the play, dignity of getting uh, um, smashed in the face. Yeah, by Vance <laughs> McDonald two weeks ago. But yeah, just I like I know players will always want to play, and there has to be a point where the coaching staff and the medical staff step in and say this is injurious to your long term health. You need to not play and recover. And we saw what happened. What happened with Chris Conti was a relatively minor in but still fairly serious injury turned into a full-blown season ender so that's just that's really sad when that happens because it's avoidable and you really have to blame the bucks for that and uh, chicago linebacker sam acho tore his peck he's gone for the season those are nasty ones but usually don't have too many long-term impacts once the healing is done so i suspect we'll see him back uh next season couple of other minor ones oj howard has an mcl sprain uh it's gone for two to four weeks that's because i picked him up on my fantasy leagues and started them oh well um <laughs> Tennessee safety, Kenny Vaccaro. Oh, Kenny Vaccaro's in Tennessee now. I wondered where he was. Dislocated elbow, two to four weeks, and uh, Detroit safety, Condre Diggs, has broken a bone in his hand. We're not sure. We've seen players play through that kind of stuff before, but I imagine it might keep him out for a week or two. That's uh, all of the 
injury news. So moving on to more fun things, the controversy corner. Um, once again, every week, the body weight rule. Um, we saw a less enforcement this week. We saw some players going out of their way to be very not body weighty in how they took down the quarterback. Uh, but we did see one really bad call, Ronan. Yeah, in the Cleveland and Oakland game, Arden Key basically comes up to Baker Mayfield uh, late. Uh, Baker Mayfield gets a pass off, and he kind of just brushes him. And then Baker Mayfield like takes two steps back because it's a slight impact. And then he literally kind of gives a fist bump to Arden Key. Uh, but at, by this point, the referee had already thrown a flag, and everyone is uh, super pissed off in the in the black uh, in the black hole. Of course, <laughs> in that game. Oakland ended up getting a number of questionable calls in their favour, so it might have been worth it, maybe, up front to take that roughly the passer penalty. There was a case where um, Derek Carr should have had a sack, a strip sack, and they counted basically he, there would be no like forward motion had been stopped at that point, but very, very questionable. And then on the last drive from Cleveland in, in, in regular time, um, they had a spot that was initially good enough for the first down, and which, in my opinion, had been conservative in the first place. They yeah. should have definitely been the first down, which was then called back as being short. And, like, I know home advantage, some people say it's a thing, some people doesn't, but this was the most experienced uh, crew in the league, I think, if they were telling us during the, the broadcast. Uh, but there is no way in a million years that should have been called back. And if they got that Cleveland would have won that game, which uh, Oakland then went, went on to win in overtime after getting a, a tie-up score uh, and the subsequent drive. So, like that roughing the passing collar thing, it's having a huge effect. The competition committee obviously is, means there's less enforcement, but defensive players are still afraid enough that they're making changes. And then in this case, uh, we're seeing a really soft roughing the passer, roughing the passer penalty. I expect that will be smoothed out as well, and we'll get back to something back to normality uh, in a few weeks, but we're getting closer. Uh, we're definitely closer in week four than we were in the first few weeks. Yeah, I think things things are getting a bit better, but I just hope they keep flagging Clay Matthews. Uh, that, <laughs> that that game, I have to say, that was one of the worst officiated games, probably of the year. It's one of the worst officiated games I've seen in ages, and it, it, it ha- it's it's Cleveland. It just had to happen to Cleveland after coming off their win and then just, uh, just uh, yeah, just ridiculous. Um, there's also a bit of a quarterback controversy down in Tampa Bay, but we'll discuss this because we have a question about it. From one of our listeners, so we'll discuss this later. Uh, crime and punishment. Uh, what are they doing? Uh, getting out of NFL jail, actually. No felonies this week, no punishments this week, but some players coming back from suspension. We've got Julian Edelman, Mark Ingram, Jimmy Smith, uh, Vontez Burfitt are the big names. Uh, Ronan, which of these do you think is probably the most significant? Um, personally, I think Mark Ingram. Like Alvin Kamara has been playing absolutely fantastic the first few weeks, but you know, he's a slight guy, he is an alien, but I think, you know, it's a it's a long season, especially for a team like New Orleans, which is primed to go to the playoffs, and getting someone who can spell the ball, but also perhaps be more effective near the goal line will be really important, and we saw last season what that two-headed beast can do. If they can get back to that, then some of the early issues we saw with Drew Brees having to do a lot would hopefully be taken off the board. Yeah, I think that's, that's probably a fair one. I think obviously the one that's interesting for me is Julian Edelman coming back now. He is 32. He's coming back off a major injury and a PED bust, which probably doesn't put him in the best space in the world. But New England suddenly got hot last week. Edelman coming back makes a huge difference. We now have 
Gordon, who was obviously on a very limited snap count, I think he only played 18 snaps. You imagine that will increase. Now you have Edelman as an underneath threat. New England are now looking at, given how Sony Michelle is coming on, given that James White looks like he's really comfortable in his role, New England are now looking like this could make them into one of those teams that really turns into a pick-your-poison offense, which is something that Brady hasn't really had to work with for a very long time. So I'm interested to see how long it takes him to get back up to speed and how well he integrates with that, because I think this, this is a potential where New England are going to have an awful lot of weapons on that offense, even if the defense is trash and the offensive line is useless. So we'll see how it goes. Um, trades, extensions, all that kind of stuff. Um, there are a few little bits and bobs in there, but there's one one that I think is quite interesting, which is Carolina signing Eric Reed. Now, we know that Eric Reed was claiming he was blackballed, and let's be honest, probably was, uh, because of the anthem protest. It took a very long time for him to find a team, uh, but now, after an injury in Carolina, he's uh, he's, been, he's been called up there and, uh, and signed. Um, there seems to be a real culture change in Carolina, that they've gone from like one of the most conservative owners in the league in Jerry Richardson... Uh, who obviously was a notorious sex pest, uh, didn't like tattoos, very conservative in all of his outlook, and, and racist misogynist, let's be honest. Um, and the new owner seems to really be changing the culture there. Yeah, like I think everyone was talking about this at the time. This signing would not have happened under Richardson. He was a cunt, uh, basically. <laughs> and Pepper is like, he's a hedge fund manager, so I'm not going to throw a ticker tape parade for anything, but obviously, uh, in terms of the way that his butter, he's obviously probably someone, a coastal elite, as some might call him, uh, if they're idiots. Uh, but yeah, like I think Eric Reed, I think his collusion case is going to continue, um, because obviously, you know, the market value he got and the amount of time it took for a player of its quality, he would argue is still far excessive than it should have been. But uh, I think maybe his case would be a little weak, weaker than Kaepernick's now. I think he'll just be happy to get on there. And he has indicated, he came out in his first press conference saying, uh, like, I'm with Cap, and he's planning to continue his protest. So if the owner is okay with that and the coach is okay with that, then it'll be great to see Eric Reeb out there playing well again. Because when he's on his when he's on form, he's actually a good player. And for a team that's lost, uh, I think, two safeties uh, to injury this season, I think it's a really smart pickup. Yeah, so I, some other teams would pick up a decent quarterback. Well, yeah, I'm, well, I saw Tom Savage get called in for a fucking workout last week. So I mean, like, uh, I don't know, man. Uh, but yeah, I think you're, I think you're spot on on that one. A um, couple of other little bits and bobs here. Tennessee have released Richard Matthews because he basically said, "Well, I'm not getting enough targets," which I suppose makes sense given that, uh, yeah, he's Richard Matthews, and the rest of Tennessee's receivers are Tennessee's receivers. Not a fantastic player, but he's pretty solid. Um, surprising how much he was de-emphasized this season, to be honest. So we'll see if he finds a landing spot. Now, he was another player who was quite outspoken on some of the social justice stuff, so it'll be interesting to see if that has any kind of impact, because I think there are certainly teams around the league that could use a, a veteran of his quality. Uh, Green Bay signed Bashaw Breland because of Devon House going down. Breland, another guy who's had a couple of solid seasons as a vet in Washington and a couple of really wobbly seasons, um, but makes sense given the problems Green Bay are having in the, back, in the defensive backfield. And uh, yeah, Buffalo have signed, uh, sorry, traded Marshall Newhouse defensive tackle to Carolina for a late conditional 2019 pick. God, the NFL is ridiculous sometimes. And have signed uh, an OT called Jeremy Searles, who I've never heard of, to replace him. Um, don't think there's a huge amount interesting there. But there is one other little note. Um, and we discussed this a couple of times about the likelihood of Le'Veon Bell being traded. Uh, Pittsburgh have now named a price. They say they want a second-round pick, and a quote-unquote good player. Now, what they actually mean by that, who knows. 
um, in response to, to Bell. Now, as we discuss, sorry, in exchange for Bell. Now, as we've discussed on the pod before, there are barriers to this, like actually getting Bell to sign so they can trade him, and there's all the trust issues that surround that, and then making sure that there's actually the site of a long-term deal with the new team who doesn't. There's going to be, have to be a lot of like pre-commitments made for all this to work. Um, Ronan, what do you think is probably the most likely landing spot for Bell at this stage, if they can find a trade partner? There's a lot of decent targets, I think. I think uh, an obvious one that seems to be there's a lot of linkages with the Jets. Uh, they have like two adequate running backs, but they're just looking for some juice. They kind of take the pressure off their young rookie quarterback in Sam Darnold, and they have plenty of cap space to play around with. Uh, one other team that's kind of struggling in the backfield is the Colts, um, and that's we know that they're willing to make big trades for uh, running backs in the past because this would work out a little bit better than last. <laughs> <laughs> but I think like you know the Jets kind of make sense because they could send one of their running backs back maybe as a as a make weight along with a second round pick. But I think with, with like for a player of Le'Veon Bell's uh, quality. He'd obviously go to a contender if possible, but I think I think you could get a very interesting market at the point at which he agrees that he he's going to get traded. You could see people swooping in and trying to do like a last minute deal there. But until someone kind of gets it that far uh, and someone's really willing to push it that far, I expect it it would be like I, I would still say it's lower fifty fifty. This will actually happen, but a team like the Jets seems like a good chance. Yeah, I, th- I think I agree with you there that the likelihood of it getting done is isn't fantastic. Um, the Jets are an interesting shout. My inclination would actually probably be Tampa Bay at this stage because um, Ronald Jones has been useless and Peyton Barber hasn't really got it done, and that's a team that we've seen can be offensively explosive, although we saw them uh, really faceplant this week. And it might be good if they don't really trust, again, as we'll discuss, either of those quarterbacks to have somebody who can make a, make a difference there. Then again, the Bucks are a totally dysfunctional organization, so I wouldn't expect them to have the uh, wherewithal to pull something like this off, but I think that would be a, a good uh, fit. Um, a couple of other little little pieces. Uh, Adam Vinatieri broke the record for the most field goals. I think 566. Uh, I think Morton Anderson was the previous record holder who is in the Hall of Fame. I think it's probably fairly uncontroversial that Vinatieri is going to go to the Hall of Fame at some point. Um, but we noticed something on the broadcast when we were watching this that all the Colts players were you know surrounding him, congratulating him, and up wanders J.J. Watt. He just can't let anyone else have... The slightest bit of attention or glory without inserting J.J. Watt into the picture comes up and is like, oh, J.J.'s joining in the celebration with the other team because of history. He's like a really annoying Forrest Gump. (laughs) You can't, like... (laughs) I'm sure that every piece of NFL history between 2007 and 2020, basically, J.J. Watt viewed things. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a bit ridiculous. Um, but you know look I mean he just wants to be liked he just he's such a fucking tryhard and he's done some very good stuff in his life but he's still a tryhard dweeb um, yeah and there was a bit of controversy in one of the games uh, as well uh, Jacksonville fairly comfortably handling the New York Jets and uh, decided to run the score what was this about? yes so with uh, basically their last play of the game because uh, they just scored a touchdown and would go to knees afterwards Jacksonville decided to go for two against the Jets for no good reason. And Doug Marone, after the game, basically said, the chart said, go for two. And he's just been a dick. And obviously, there's lots of rumors going around because uh, there was some reporter, a beat reporter with the, in New York who was quite famously associated with uh, kind of blackballing Marone when he was offered a job uh, with the Jets. Uh, so maybe there's been a bad blood there. He's kind of playing out, but... I think someone said, like, it would be the first time that someone has run up the score 
to punish a team for its beat reporter. <laughs> yeah, but slightly <laughs> so, implausible. He never said that. Well, we'll see. I don't think there's anything to it, but I think, uh, you know, the Jags did a good game and they had a bit of fun. And Marone's obviously someone with a few chips on the shoulder, uh, given the way that. I don't know why, considering what he did to the team he was with, but he, he managed to have them anyway. Yeah, that makes. Well, I mean, it doesn't make sense, but, you know, it's there. It happened. It's fine. Um, when you're winning, everything makes sense. That's true. So, uh, yeah, with that, we'll move on to our game reviews. Okay, so first up in the Ring of Honor, we have Minnesota at the Los Angeles Rams. That still sounds weird. The Rams. Um, 31-38 victory for the home team. Uh, This was uh, one of those rare good TNF games. Um, We saw the offense of the Rams go off. Jared Goff had... Probably the best game of his career. Absolutely remarkable. We saw Minnesota's much-vaunted defense struggle again this season. Um, but we also saw the Rams' defense struggle a bit to contain Kirk Cousins and the Vikings. Like, this was a little bit of a shootout. Um, so I guess the first thing is we'll focus on on Goff. Like, this is a guy who we've seen sort of not... I wouldn't say underwhelmed, but like not be amazing over his first few seasons in the league. Kick it up a bit and then have a game like this. Is this, are we seeing Jared Goff blossom into something that he might have the potential to be so much better than he showed when he came into the league? Or is this just like Sean McVay's magical photographic memory quarterback whispering, last second headset calling, doing making the difference? I think it's a little bit of both. Like on the positives for Goff, I think the best thing that we saw from him is that when pressure was right in his face, he was willing to stand there and make the play to the open receiver at the last moment. I think that's, that's something that he wouldn't have done under Jeff Fisher or perhaps wouldn't even have done last season. I think his ability to play under pressure, to perform and execute under pressure, is a definite improvement and something which will make the difference for him being in good, bad. But I still I still think it's a case that Jared Goff is kind of... He's, like, he's the manifestation of Sean McVay's offensive game plan. And like I, I think you know when we look at quarterbacks, that probably makes him... Like, if you want to go to the most promising one, that makes him almost like more like a Tom Brady than a Peyton Manning or an Aaron Rodgers. Like, Peyton Manning, well-known for basically being the coach, basically, and the quarterback at the same time, and calling the plays as he liked them. Um, uh, Aaron Rodgers, obviously, his improvisational skills uh, are what really made him make him a household name. Whereas Tom Brady, you know, like, he, uh, you know, you call him, like, I wouldn't call him a system quarterback. But you're talking <laughs> about a quarterback who can execute the greatest like coaching minds plan to perfection as that plan evolves and changes over time then that's the kind of quarterbacking that we saw from Jared Goff here he knew exactly what he was doing within McVay's system and when the pressure was on him when the Minnesota defense did get onto him he still made plays he still got the job done and I think that's the major thing that make a difference so even though Jared Goff I don't think he's ever going to be the most intelligent quarterback who kind of calls everything from the line of scrimmage himself. Yeah, he doesn't know if which side ex- of the earth the sun rises on, so let's be... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If he can execute the plan of a coach like Sean McVay and he can keep cool under pressure, then there's no reason why he can't pull a team like the Rams all the way to the biggest stage uh, and basically possibly eclipse that famous greatest show on turf this season. Because right now they're well on pace to do it and with the way defences are hamstrung, it's never been a better time to try and break those records. True, and it's not just the greatest show on turfing. This is this is all time performance. Um, that passing, like four hundred plus yards passing and five touchdowns in a game, hasn't been done by a Rams quarterback since nineteen fifty. Uh, that was Norm Van Brocklin, who's in the Hall of Fame and I think held a few records for a while. So that's 
that's pretty impressive. Like that's beyond anything we saw out of the quarterbacking of the greatest show on turf. Although obviously the rules substantially different have an impact on that. But speaking of what you said, like there was a problem in the defense in this game. For the second week in a row, we saw the Vikings look incredibly vulnerable on defense. And early in the season, it was like, oh, it's just Aaron Rodgers. But it looks like there's something more than that. And the Rams' defense didn't look spectacular either. Like, neither quarterback was picked off. Um, neither, neither team could really stop the pass. Now, the Rams did do a pretty good job of shutting down the run. Uh, Dalvin Cook had a horrible game. 10 carries for 20 yards. Cousins was the team's top rusher with 28. But this is, this is concerning for me, right? Because I think, and it seems like, like Zimmer's defense has been just figured out this season. That people took... The model of what was done to them um, basically in, by the Saints in the second half of that playoff game and then by Philly in the subsequent game and have been able to extrapolate it. The amount of times we saw the Rams able to isolate linebackers in one-on-one coverage with wide receivers or even with uh, with Todd Gurley was really, really concerning. And you wonder like, if this is, this is a personnel thing or if this is just a failure of the coaching to adapt to new challenges being put to it because I think when we look at the rounds we can say very obvious things like oh look Marcus Peters was limited Aqib Tlaib was out there's a few injuries on this thing they, the, the D-line still did its job really but on the Viking side it's a lot more concerning um, what do you think what do you think is causing this Ronan do you think it is a case of um, just lacking the personnel or do you think that like Zimmer's scheme is being figured out and he needs to adapt this well yeah like, I think like losing people like Epis to Griffin and Trey Wings does have an effect. And just as we saw on the Rams side, like Marcus Peters wasn't fit, so that that like Marcus Peters shouldn't be playing. So yep. like, the Rams maybe when they get well like by the time the playoffs come and they're gonna be in the playoffs, if Peters and Tlaib are back, then don't worry about it. On the Viking side, those those injuries, I think their biggest issue though is their kind of I, I think they're still a defense that plays uh, very reliant on their linebacking core. They're kind of almost like a kind of classic core tree. They don't really play the five, like the, the kind of maybe four, like the, like the kind of two linebacker formations as much. They rely on guys uh, like Anthony Barr, uh, like Eric Kendricks to kind of get the Harrison Smith to get the job done. And in this game, they just, like their linebackers in particular, looked very slow compared to a Rams offense, which just looked to be at hyperspeed. So I think that's just something that they're going to have to look at you know, can we continue to pay this base offense that's kind of, sorry, defense, which is kind of reliant on the idea of like, you know, run, pass, pass, or run, run, pass against a team where you can't really stop the run when you're playing someone good as Todd Gurley, let's be honest. Uh, but if, if you're not doing that, you certainly can't afford to be playing a defense which isn't optimized to stop the pass. This is a passing league right now. And if you're going to ask, you know, a rookie like uh, Mike Hughes, or you're gonna like and Mackenzie Alexander to get the job done. You're gonna get exposed against these elite teams. So I think for the Vikings, like they, I think they rely on execution a lot. But maybe they need to go back to the drawing board a bit and like, you know, move outside of that, have more defensive back in the field, play against the pass because that's where the NFL is going. It's been such an offensive heavy NFL. You need to adapt. The old rules just don't count. And, and if you're a coach like Zimmer or a coach like Pete Carroll, that those truths don't matter anymore. You need to move with the times. That's true. That makes sense. We are seeing, yep, yeah, these these things fade out. We know the game changes so rapidly, and it does. And I'd I'd agree with you that there's something missing in the in the approach right now of the Minnesota Vikings. It is going to continue to get exploited by the high powered offenses. Um, yeah, I mean, but all these wide receivers on both teams are good. 
So pick them up in your fantasy leagues. That's my advice. Robert Woods. Where did that happen? I don't know. Anyway, right. The neutral zone. <coughs> we had a good long chat about uh, which games to discuss in this because we actually had quite a lot of games that were just neutral zone. They were just so meh and there and things happened. Um, Houston versus Indianapolis, we decided, was probably the most worthy of discussion um, because the AFC South is just a complete mess again this year. Uh, in-division game, went to overtime, incredibly close. Very weird game. Houston won 37-34 to in overtime following a bizarre call that we'll talk about in a minute. Andrew Luck threw the ball 62 times despite the fact that we know his shoulder isn't quite right. 464 yards and four touchdowns and they still lost. And uh, Deshaun Watson, again, looked like he's seen ghosts. He looked indecisive. He spent way too long hanging on to the ball so many times, but he still managed to do enough uh, to win this game. Houston's run game continues to be absolutely non-existent. Lamar Miller has done nothing this season after quite a few uh, solid years that we've got out of him. And the less about the Colts running game, the better. I think they're, like, <laughs> I think as a team, they averaged, like, barely two yards a carry. It was just painful to watch. And that's, they're, they're going to really want Marlon Mack. Uh, back in there because, like, he at least can, you know, run a bit. Um, T.Y. Hilton Robert got... Robert Turbin. Oh, my God. God, God it's Robert Turbin's <laughs> like, I think they actually activated McNichols ahead of Turbin. Oh, Turbin's suspended, wasn't he? Yeah, he's back from the uh, That's, that's going to make a difference. Yeah, Robert fucking Turbin's going to make the difference. This is trash. T.Y. Hilton got, got hurt but came back in. Looks like he's going to be okay. Um, let's talk about that call that ultimately settled the game. Uh, and so, for example, in the Tennessee-Philly game, we saw some incredibly ballsy fourth-down play-calling that worked and won Tennessee the game in overtime. <clears throat> in this game, we saw some incredibly ballsy fourth-down overtime play-calling and it lost the game for Indianapolis. Like, was this the right decision? Frank Wright says, I'm not playing to tie. The direct quote, America. Frank Wright. Like, this, like, it wasn't even the fourth quarter. This was an overtime uh, less than a minute left in the clock. If he punted it away, this is around midfield, um, then more or less the game was over. It was very, very unlikely that Houston, who had no timeouts, would get close enough for a field goal, and they would have went for a tie. Instead, he went for it on fourth and short, I think fourth and four, and did a pass play that basically went nowhere. Um, so I think, like, I, I like the aggressive play calling that we're seeing around the league, but the problem with the way they coached it is that they kind of seemed confused about it they kind of seemed to come out do the try and bring them offside and then do that like they did the try the offside thing then they take the time out then they come back out again there's no element of surprise there there's no kind of changing happening there and i think that's in contrast to the tennessee game which was another game where a fourth down call basically changed the game uh where they brought up the field goal unit and then they took it off and they put it back on a little bit of deception there maybe or maybe just a bit of luck but regardless of what happened here I think that idea that a tie is not good is stupid. If that's the reason yeah. that you didn't go for an important short, you're a goddamn idiot, Frank Reich. Like a tie against a division opponent is much more important. Like it's so much more valuable than taking a loss where now your head-to-head -head record could very likely matter at the end of the season. So I think given the situation, you know, you're near midfield, Forward and forward, there's a good chance that you won't even get into field goal range even if you do do this because you only have uh, you have no timeouts yourself. I don't think it's the best move. I could understand it, but the way that he's handled it after the fact is just really sad and it's, it doesn't speak well to him as a coach. I think you know if you're making a decision to say we did it because we thought it would work, not ties aren't worth anything. That's 
statistically uh, not true. It's worth half a win. Shut up, Frank. Well, I, I can see it appealing to a certain meathead section of the fan oh, base. I know. Um, I but yeah, I agree. It's very American. We don't do ties. Like, come on, man. Um, although, I think you might have hit on something really interesting there. Maybe Frank Reich's real... Like, both these teams are 1-3. and three. The head-to-head will matter, but will it matter for playoffs? Not the way either of these teams are playing at the moment. <laughs> Indy might have secured yeah. themselves a better draft pick here. Galaxy brain right here. There you go, Galaxy brain tech. Yeah, no, it was, it, I agree with you. It was absolutely stupid and unnecessary. Um, the other thing, I guess, I, I, that I mentioned here was to do with, with Andrew Luck. Like, he's putting up numbers, but he doesn't look right out there. Um... It's hard to really assess this because I think this this was a weird game. But do we think there's still some concerns over whether or not he can make all the throws and and his his general level of rustiness? Like we saw him throw some deep balls that were quite nice. We also saw him throw a couple of absolute ducks. Like, have we seen the best of Andrew Luck in the past? Do you reckon? Yeah, I, I think it's relative. I think like based on what we're seeing right now and, and the hopeful improvement you'll see. As he gets more practice after being you know, out for like over a year from the NFL, um, he can still be a good starting quarterback in the NFL. I think he's still got that quality. I think he showed that today. Will he ever be that like quality number one overall pick that we saw in his first few years, where he looked like he was going to be like you know a, a future Hall of Famer, effectively, uh, even if he threw picks a bit too often? It looks a bit more uncertain. Well, it's too early for me to call the day of Andrew Luck being like returning for that. But I think what at least they saw here was promising in the sense that he's still a smart footballer player, he's still a student of the game, and he can still work effectively with T.Y. Hilton and the rest <laughs> as that wide receiver room is known. And I like what I do find worrying is that another, maybe I assume another Frank Wright decision to give it to Andrew Luck on a Hail Mary at the end of the first half which I felt was almost just like, oh, he can still throw it far, don't worry about it. And then it ended up coming up. It didn't look that, go that far. It barely made the end zone. Uh, that kind of felt to me like another Frank Reich trying to prove the haters mm-hmm. wrong. Frank, forget about the haters. Just focus on your own game and stop you know, saying things which are factually incorrect. Um, this really, yeah, is, uh, really is Jim Irsay's team at the moment, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck the haters. We're real men. I'm like, okay, Jim. Put down the Vicodin. It's worth mentioning Deshaun Watson had another game game statistically, but he still has that bit of uncertainty around him. Uh, the Texans, uh, like we didn't have really talked about them, but just to briefly mention Do them. You have to. Uh, yeah, oh. they're just a really weird team. Like Deshaun Watson's throwing for a shit ton of yards, but their run game doesn't exist. Their defensive line is actually playing up near to where we expect them. JJ Watt and Clowney and, and Merciless, etc., getting sacked, and Watt's finally getting loads of sacks again. But their defensive backfield is just so god-awful that they're giving away a million points anyway. We talked about, the, like, before the season, Houston, they're one of the most high-variance teams we see. And even within their own, like, offensive uh, players and defensive players, that's coming true. But I think it's going to have reach out to be that best in 8-18. Eight eight so lots of talent, but uh, the holes are so massive, they're yeah. just falling into them. And the less said about the O-line, of course, the better. If that continues oh, to be absolute garbage. <laughs> Um, which is weird because Watson, you think, would not want to hold on to the ball for ages, but apparently he is. Um, yeah, I think with him, it's a similar way to Luck. It's like it's too early to judge. You know, this is a second year in a difficult spot on a team with a lot of flaws, so we shouldn't write him off immediately. Um, he did benefit a bit, I think, from uh, Fuller and Hopkins winning those 50-50s that he likes to lob up. But uh, when we've seen it in the past, when DeAndre Hopkins is on, you can't stop DeAndre Hopkins, and this kind of was one of those games. Um, yeah. 
I imagine we won't be talking about either of these teams too much the rest of the year because they both look pretty bad. And uh, they're both 1-3. and three, And somehow the Jags and Titans are have reasonable records. So I'd, I'd be very surprised to see either of these teams in the playoff chat. Uh, I'm perfectly willing to write them off after four weeks unless they really, really sort out their problems. Right, the dumpster fire. Uh, I know we did some quick hits last week, but this week there was just a dumpster fire. And as is the traditional twice-a-year dumpster fire. It was the Seattle-Arizona game. Seattle won, somehow, 20-17. Nobody deserved to win this game, as usually happens when Seattle plays Seattle and Arizona. Um, Both quarterbacks combined for less than 400 yards passing. Russell Wilson, 172 yards on 19 completions. Um, Rosen, 15 completions, 180 yards. And the only passing touchdown of the game... um, Anyone who was like, oh, is it going to be Chris Carson or Rashad Penny? Nope, it's Mike Davis for some fucking reason. Okay. Uh, That's got really strange in Seattle. Um, Like, this is just... These two teams are really, really messy. And we saw, the again, the offensive struggles. We saw the defensive struggles. um, As in, like, you know, both these teams' defenses are theoretically... Well, Seattle isn't anymore, but people still think it is. Arizona's defense is theoretically good, but seems to just not be able to do enough to win close games. This was another example of it. Let's talk about Arizona first. Uh, Josh Rosen, this was not good, okay? This wasn't good, but it was better than what we've seen out of Sam Bradford. He is in, to me... and in, I, I like Josh Rosen. I think he's very talented. And I like what we saw of him in college. And we saw a bit of that kind of like guy who's willing to push the ball down the field, who's willing to make dangerous throws. Um, we saw him score, like the touchdown pass was again, it was into a tight window. It was very nice. We saw one that could have been a touchdown, but the receivers heel landed out of bounds earlier in the game. That was also a very, you know, throw into a very small window that was in just the right place for the receiver to catch it. He just couldn't contort his body right to come down to it. But the O-line is still bad. Like, David Johnson is still really struggling to take to get going, like, 3.2 yards of carry to take the heat off. What can we expect from Rosen coming forward? Is, is he going to drag this team to a couple of wins, or is this just way too difficult to spot right now? Yeah, I, I think in combination with the defense, which, like, really, like, you can't really judge them because the offense was so fucking shit for first week. <laughs> I think they haven't been doing bad. They've just been, you know, hamstrung with the worst offense in the league. Um, and I think, you know, Rosen... He didn't really do much for the first three quarters, looked like a rookie. But in the fourth quarter, which is obviously the most important quarter, uh, football heads would tell you, um, he finally showed a bit of spark and was starting to get some players in there. I think for a team where the probably top three weapons, the top four weapons are either running backs, tight ends, or like slot receivers. Uh, So like David Johnson, Ricky Seals Jones, Larry Fitzgerald, Christian Kirk. Uh, I think Chad Williams is busy and JJ Nelson, they exist, but you know. <laughs> conceptually, but not <laughs> practically. But like I think the big thing that they'll hope to see is someone who can make decisive decisions and then based on that, you know, be able to willing to push it downfield on play action and other situations like that. And I think you saw a few sparks of that uh, for Josh Rosen um in the fourth quarter. And like will can he go on for I think it's very hard to go on in sixteen. I imagine they'll win some games with a defense that good, although and they're not coached like it's, I, I won't judge. Oh, I know the coaching is pretty uh, bad. Coaches, man. I'm not going to compare the coaching staff to Hugh Jackson just yet. Uh, I can see. But it. assuming they're better than Hugh Jackson, I think they'll get a couple of wins. Um, so there's at least enough promise there after the Sam Bradford era of three games to have some hope in Arizona. We'll see. I don't expect them to get very many wins, and they're going to be picking very high next season. But um, I think there's enough here 
maybe we'll see more from Johnson, Ricky Taylor Jones, and Larry Fitz to get them that couple of wins to not have a complete write off of the season. Yeah, okay. Well, that's all they could hope for based on what they talk really Bold, bold prediction. Um, yeah, we'll see. Like, I mean, it, like I say, it's hard to go on 16. They do have talent. It's just about getting it going. You know, maybe if Rosen's able to open up the passing game, that's where we'll see Johnson be able to find the space to do what we we know he can do. Um, I just want to also, we're just on the subject of running backs. And I just want, like, Mike Davis, dude, like, where, why, what, what? Is there any reason for this? Or is just Seattle running backs, like, mm. uh. Chris Carson uh, was carrying a knock, so I think they de-emphasized him because they, of that. They deactivated Rashad, him, actually. I think. Yeah, yeah, Rashad Penny is looking like a rookie, uh, and CJ Proceis doesn't exist. So I think it's like Mike Davis came in and spot duty last season and was okay, so I'm not, I wasn't completely surprised. But I think like the weird thing about Seattle is that they finally got their run game going again. It actually wasn't a bad uh, running performance, like 4.8 a carry from Mike Davis. Uh, but weirdly... On the week when they, like, you know, after years basically of trying to reestablish the run after Marshall Lynch left, uh, on third and short, again and again, they refused to run and tried to do stupid, like, play action passes and they such. They didn't convert and a single third down, did they? they? Yeah, they went 0 and 10 on third down. They did get one fourth down conversion, so that's nice. <laughs> but, that's worth double. Uh, like, we were talking about this new NFL, pass up the NFL, like, Pete Carroll and Brian Schottenheimer. They're like one of the few teams still trying to run it down the gut two weeks in a row. It's managed to win against the crappy Dallas team and a crappy Arizona team. But, you know, as we'll talk about in the previews, uh, against any team of quality, I don't expect that to go very well. And with Earl Thomas gone, that defense isn't going to be enough to save them, as was the case maybe during the last couple of those seasons. Yeah, I think that's probably a, a fair assessment. Uh, so, yeah, uh, fun times in that division, which is definitely competitive and not going to be completely dominated by one team. That's like we are looking back to the AFC's discussion from earlier, but on the other side and in the other um, in the other conference. Okay, so uh, that's all of the well, that's all the games from last week that we are going to talk about. So we'll move on to some questions from you, the listeners. Okay, so we've got uh, we've got three questions today. Um, <laughs> they are of the usual standard. Um, our first one comes in from Emmett, and he says, "Now that Mitch Titties, obviously Mitchell Trubisky, who." Uh, Loves uh, sucking titties, licking titties. He loves titties, anyway. Mitch Titties is truly elite. Is he the face of the NFL now? I'm going to no. say no. <laughs> I mean, he's like a goober. He's such a goober. You've seen him. He's not like, he's got that kind of vacant, empty stare. Sam Bradford-esque. Uh, yeah, it, it's just not the look of a man that's going to energize. Like, you know, if you want someone... I would get Baker Mayfield. He he has some pizzazz, as they say, and he rocks a good pair of like underwear. I, I saw in Hard Knocks. So yeah, Mitchell <laughs> Trubisky. He had a great game. No denying, six touchdowns, demolished what it was admittedly an awful Tampa Bay defense. But he's he's got a goober face. He's never going to be the face of the NFL. Uh, you know they would need years of PR training to do that. I'm sure they would rather have him on the practice field learning how to throw to his left. <laughs> yeah, that's probably fair. Um, that was demolished this week. Some people claiming uh, it was all a long-term ruse to convince them he couldn't throw left, and then suddenly throw left every play and run up six touchdowns. Isn't isn't that a, a subplot in the film Zoolander? <laughs> you know, we can't turn left, right? Um, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, that's probably fair. Um, also, he's not truly elite, Emmett. Calm down. Um, like, Philip Rivers but, isn't the face of the NFL. It's not because he isn't good at football. It's because he's got a big country bumpkin face. Some faces are made for 
start in summer now. This is true. Bitches, if not. Um, but also, this this actually question also relates to this game. This comes in from Kian, and it's a very Kian question. Uh, so based on the performances we saw from the quarterbacks uh, in Tampa Bay this week, which were both quite bad, who do the Bucks start for the rest of the season? And I quote, is it Ryan Fitzpatrick or Marcus Mariota? Um, Kian? An amazing trade in Kian's mind, like galaxy brain trade, Mariota for Winston. Uh. Um, thank you to one of our, 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 our long-term listeners. Well, look, we'll take it in the, in the spirit in which it was intended, and this is about Winston and Fitzpatrick, not Mariota and Fitzpatrick. Now, both these guys had pretty bad games, like Fitzpatrick, 9 of 18 for 126 and a pick. Winston, 16 of 20, which sounds good, but... Two of those incompletions were interceptions. He also threw only for 145 yards and got a garbage time touchdown. This was pretty bad. It looks like the Bucks are leaning towards Winston. What if you were a dirt cutter who called for himself to be fired during the week so that things are going really well in Tampa Bay? And it didn't take long for the wheels to come off. What would you do? Like I think, as from a footballing perspective, you probably pay Winston. Like Fitzpatrick and Winston are kind of similar. They can have hot streaks. They throw a lot of picks, uh, and then they occasionally, you know, show some other exciting kind of on their on their on their legs to be pretty good. But as well as from a franchise point of view, if you want to have any chance of keeping your job, it's probably with Winston at the helm. Uh, I don't think it's, it's like if Cutter Cutter knows he's going to get cut and like like he's like on the chopping block, he's basically confirmed. Then yeah, start Fitzpatrick again. But if he if, until he has officially lost his job, he might as well keep the keep the franchise hope alive and maybe have a chance of keeping his job. So I don't blame Dirk Cutter for playing, even if, you know, Winston is a cunt uh, and doesn't deserve to play football. Fair. Uh, fair. He should be in jail. I don't know. I, I, I hope he plays Winston and then Winston tanks the hopes of the franchise by continuing to be pretty shit. Um, the best player on this team's offense right now is Deshaun Jackson. And okay. He runs fast. <laughs> Wasn't expecting that at the start. Of the year. <laughs> fast, man. <laughs> what can he do? Fast. What can everyone else do? Nothing. Okay, fast wins. Tampa Bay, I told you the wheels were going to come off this team spectacularly, and I was right. It's taken one bad loss, and a very bad loss, and the coach is out there calling for himself to be fired. Both their quarterbacks look terrible. Their best tight end is injured. Their best receiver is Deshaun Jackson. Like, this is bizarre. Anyway, bad team. Let's not talk about them anymore. We have one last question that comes. It's a spooky Halloween question, uh, several weeks early. Uh, and it's from Connor from Beyond the Grave. And he says, why did I sign up for this course? Professional development, uh, but I assume it's because you have a secret love for econometrics. Uh, you won't speak of it, it's a forbidden love, but I know it, Connor. Soon you will join me in the stats. Oh my god, does this, does this mean we're going to get twice the punt stats per week? Because I'm going to oh, quit the podcast. Stats and stats oh my god, I'm, I'm done, I'm quitting the podcast, I'm going to start my own Josh uh, Gordon themed podcast. Good luck with your study, Connor, we'll, we'll, we'll have you back in a few weeks. Maybe. Yeah, you're, you're a traitor, um, you're a traitor to the cause, Connor. Uh, oh, but it's okay, we're making an edit this week, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, thanks to our, uh, our listeners for sending in those questions, and to Connor for sending in his question hopefully being a listener listen. he'll edit it without listening <laughs> <laughs> having listened back to some of the podcasts that Connor has edited yes <laughs> that, is, that is what he always does it's impressive actually um, okay so with that out of the way let's move on to the final section our picks for next week okay I'm just gonna go through these uh, most of these games are 
Uh, yeah, I'm not expecting a huge amount of upsets this week. We'll see how it goes. Uh, I guess we'll start with Indianapolis at New England, which is Thursday night football. So by the time you're listening to this podcast, it'll probably have already been played and we'll all look stupid. But we've gone for New England across the board because, you know, New England coming in hot, Edelman's coming back, demolished the Dolphins last week. Indianapolis, mess. We, you heard how we discussed them regarding the Houston game. There's a real lack of coherence there. There's huge holes in that team. It's in Foxborough, and Brady has pretty much owned luck during their uh, during their Lux career. Yeah. September's uh, over, New England are going to start winning again. Basically. Yeah, all the time. So. Basically. Uh, it's a nice September for all you uh, anti-New <laughs> England people out there. I hope you enjoyed it while it lasted. Um, okay, Denver and New York Jets. We've gone for Denver across the board. Roland? Yeah, the Jets is kind of like after an impressive first week, the wheels seem to have come off. Their defense still looks pretty good, and Case Keenum is prone to throwing a pick or two in his time. Uh, but uh, I think with Denver, overall, the offense is getting scores, and uh, I think the defense is good enough to get enough pressure on the rookie Sam Dorn uh, to kind of get a win in this case. Yep, that's fair. I agree. Green Bay at Detroit. We've gone for Green Bay across the board. Look, Green Bay struggling, but Detroit just lost to Dallas. The New England game looks like an aberration. Detroit look bad. Green Bay look not great. Rodgers not 100%. Still better than this Detroit team. Uh, Giants at Carolina. We've gone for Carolina across the board. Right? Yeah, like Eli Manning can't throw it further than like, I don't know, two yards. <laughs> that's as far as he throws it to OBJ and Saquon Barkley every week. Um, Carolina, they like they look solid, basically. Um, they have a few issues, but I think they'll run Christian McCaffrey down the gut because he can break tackles, I'm assured, these days. And Cam Newton, you know, he, Cam Newton's good enough to win it by his own with the defense. It's definitely good enough to bring that New England, New York Giants um, offensive line to its knees. Um, so more noodle-armed Eli Manning action for you Giants fans. Give it to Carolina. Fair. Uh, Tennessee Titans at the Buffalo Bills. Gone for Tennessee across the board. But I do not like this Titans team. I think they're boring and I think they're rubbish. And I'm still trying to work out how the hell they're 3-1 and, and beat the Eagles. But the Bills, yeah. Um, down to okay. earth, I think, uh, last week. This aberration. This team, yeah, this team is garbage. They are absolute garbage. They took on like half of the Green Bay Packers and got handled. They got shut out. They're bad. Uh, this every team should be looking at this as a very, very winnable game, including Tennessee. Uh, Atlanta at Pittsburgh. Uh, we've gone for Atlanta across the board. Running. Yeah. So I think this is a, an interesting game. Uh, Pittsburgh haven't looked good they're missing Lev Bell that's pretty obvious Antonio Brown hasn't really gone on and then except for Antonio Brown that one player a week has been okay uh, like Juju Smith-Juster <laughs> yeah, weeks ago week. James Conner in week one against Baltimore like the, the tight ends looked okay but like I think look a bit off at the moment in that Lev Bell situation I think similar to Ezekiel Elliott last year just casting such a pile over the entire team that they're not really playing up to their potential. Atlanta, on the other hand, we know what the issue is. The, the injuries in the defense have basically decimated them and turned them completely into shit. Uh, but that offense is so high-powered right now, I think in a shootout with a Pittsburgh offense, which is just ailing compared to where we expect it to be, that Atlanta can finally get it done and score over 35 points and actually win a game. Yeah, I think the only, the only thing here is it's going to be, this is going to be one to watch the weather. And we know Atlanta is a dome team. We know don't have the best record of going into difficult conditions. So if there's wind and rain in Pittsburgh, it could be a bit more competitive than expected. But then again, Pittsburgh also looked trash in the wind and rain against Cleveland, so who knows. Um, 
Speaking of, Baltimore at Cleveland broke my heart. We've gone for Baltimore across the board. We saw it against Pittsburgh. This team is organized. They are good. They're not outstanding offensively, but they're good enough. Their defense is very good. Um, Cleveland, after so much promise, like just fell to pieces a little bit against the Raiders. Like psychologically, suffered the injury to Mitchell is actually very significant. He was forming a very part of a very good cornerback tandem. Um, I think this is a game where Baltimore are going to. I wouldn't say win comfortably, but I don't think Cleveland are really good enough to hang with them at this stage. And I think this yeah. is just going to be a very solid, grinding win where Baltimore is kind of going to suffocate that Cleveland offense that's missing a good deep threat receiver. Just saying. Um, <laughs> Miami at Cincinnati in an absolutely shocking turn of events. We've gone for Cincinnati across the board. Ronan? Yeah, I think we were all waiting to jump off the Miami, well... But Connor wasn't. Bandwagon, <laughs> in inverted commas. But people were like, okay, they're undefeated. We have to at least give them some respect. Nah, they got trashed by New England. They had their chance of respect. We're all out in Miami. Miami are completely shitting or as bad as we expected. Cincinnati, on their hand, have surprised us and actually been, you know, some of that uh, preseason promise we saw has actually come true to the main season. And I think after getting a massive win against Atlanta in a shootout with Andy Dalton, uh, no Joe Mixon, uh, I, th- I, I expect... Although it wouldn't surprise me if it didn't happen, that Cincinnati can continue their good form and continue to uh, compete with Baltimore at the top of the AFC North. Fair, yeah. Cincinnati, surprise package so far this season. Um, Jacksonville... Not you, Miami. We're not surprised (laughs) by you at all. We were just waiting. We were waiting for it to fall to pieces, and it did. Jack, turns out like trick plays aren't sustainable throughout a whole season. Who knew? Uh, speaking of trick plays not being sustainable throughout a whole season, it's Jacksonville at Kansas City. This is my uh, pick of the week. Um, this is interesting. We saw Kansas City get the brakes pumped a tad last week. Now, they still won. But against a Denver team that's, uh, you know, that defense is not as good as it has been, although Von Miller remains excellent. Um, slow down Kansas City a bit, and it took... It took a comeback, essentially, at the end of the game. They were down, I think, uh, they had to score four. T- they basically had to score two touchdowns to win, and they, they were able to do it. The Jacksonville, while their offense looks, well, like the Jacksonville offense, and we are, I think, scheduled for bad week Jacksonville this week, yeah. um, that defense is going to, I think, be really interesting. This is the test for Kansas City, and this is what I've been saying for a few weeks. This team is going to handle bad defenses. But when it comes up against good defenses, this is the test. Do they have what they need in the playbook. Does Patrick Mahomes have, and we saw him still look quite impressive um, against Denver without like being as on fire as he has been previous weeks. But can he do that against a truly elite pass rush? Can he do that when you've got Campbell and Ngakwe and Jackson and those linebackers getting in your face and putting you under pressure? Can the wide receivers continue to do what they've done uh, when they've got you know Ramsey and Boye covering them? Um, that is going to be really interesting. And we saw, although he got a load of catches, like Hill was bottled up a bit by those Denver cornerbacks. It's going to be interesting to see if Jacksonville can do the thing because if anyone's got the personnel to do that, it's going to be Jacksonville. Now, I am leaning towards Kansas City because, again, Jacksonville looks so cryptic at the moment. Like, we see some fantastic things from them on a weekly basis and then we see them just, like, go through stretches of the game or entire games where they are just shitting on themselves and rolling around in it and doing just totally incapable of moving the ball. Um, so I think on that base, I'm, I'm going with the home team with the more high-powered offense. But I don't be surprised to see Jacksonville swing this one, although I think the odds are slightly in Kansas City's favor. But I want to see how does Kansas City's high-powered offense deal with a really elite defense? And honestly, 
how does uh, Jacksonville's defense deal with Pat Mahomes? Can he unlock them? Can they be good enough to, to shut down all of those weapons, that kind of pick-your-poison type thing they want to do? So I think this is going to be a really fun game. I think this is going to be really interesting. It may not be as high-scoring as some people expect it to be. This is. I think it's also just a statement game for the NFL has changed narrative. Like I, I would definitely agree that it's definitely happening to a certain extent. But if a team like Jacksonville can shut down this case, the offense, then maybe the talk of the offense... You know, dominating the entire 2018 season, maybe we'll see that come back down. Uh, obviously, that's not true at all, but it's an interesting narrative kind yeah. of to see whether the best defensive team in the league, in the AFC at least, can take down the best offense in the AFC. Uh, just interesting to watch from that perspective in a year when offense seems to be king. Yeah, no, absolutely, that is that's true, and I agree. So this one should be fun. It's one of the few games on the slate that we're really looking forward to that we don't think will be a complete blowout. Speaking of games that have the potential to be a complete blowout, uh, the Oakland Raiders at the LA Chargers. Run. Yeah, so... Oh, sorry, we've gone for LA across the board. Shut up. Managed to win a game by a <laughs> fair means and foul, <laughs> referee means and not. But, like, like Oakland, they were very good at losing games, and they really should have lost the team as well. Whereas the Chargers, they managed to pull out a, a decent win, albeit against the, you know, C.J. Bethard, San Francisco 49ers. I think the Chargers, we really like their offense, even if Keenan Allen's in there, but their run game with Eckler and Gordon is just so good right now. They're getting, each week, you know, someone like Allen or Williams gets in there and does well. And Philip Rivers seems to be playing like Philip Rivers, and that's good enough. The defense still looks a little bit off, uh, with the exception of their rookie, Derwin James, who's absolutely destroying it uh, as a kind of linebacker, safety, do-it-all hybrid, playing at the line of scrimmage. Troy Polamalu-like almost. Uh, according to different people. Uh, but I think if they get Joey Boza back, that defense should stiffen up. But against Oakland, it should be enough at home. Well, home, I say. Uh, to get it done. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's going to be. Want, we want the Chargers to do well. We don't want Oakland to. It's definitely going to be a home game for Oakland. Um, also, fun fact, the NFL app now has, sorry, the website has updated on mobile, so each game has like a key fact underneath it, and the key fact for the 49ers Chargers game is there isn't one. There just isn't one. That game wasn't interesting enough to have a fact. So there you go. <laughs> That's the kind of team LA are at the moment. Uh, they're still better than Oakland. Minnesota at Philadelphia. We actually have a disagreement on this one. Connor and myself have gone with Minnesota. Ronan has gone with Philadelphia. Um, obviously a rematch of the uh, championship game from last season. Um, this was a very difficult one for me to call because both these teams look like nowhere near as good as they should be. Um, basically, I'm calling it for Minnesota because Philadelphia lost to Tennessee, meaning I'm probably going to have to watch more of Tennessee this season. So fuck you. That's absolutely unforgivable. But while Minnesota's defense looks totally dysfunctional, their offense is hot, red hot right now. And we saw them do damage to a very good, although slightly diminished Rams defense, as we talked about uh, earlier in the podcast. Philly looked not right on either side of the ball right now. And on that basis, I'm kind of thinking that Minnesota will be able to just outpace them in what I think will be a fairly not very defensively skilled game. Yeah, like I, I think these teams, they're both highly flawed now. They're both perhaps worse than their record, and they're certainly worse than their skill level. I think the one thing I give Philly, they're still, you know, I think mentally speaking, I think the Tennessee game was just a bit weird. Uh, like Mario just got really hot in that fourth quarter. I think that Philly were going to win it up till then. Uh, whereas Minnesota just looks so fragile right now, like mentally and psychologically. I just feel that if Philly can dominate in the trenches, which they are want to do, and can get an early lead. Um, I just think Minnesota right now just looked like a team that they're panicking a bit, whereas Philly, they're coming off that Super Bowl, they have a bit more hype, hype around them. 
uh, not hype, I mean just a bit more talent around them. So like, I, I think it'll be close. It's a very interesting game. And obviously whoever loses this, it's a very deep hole to get back to the playoffs from one and four. Uh, sorry, one and, uh, yeah, one and four. No, yeah, one and four. Well, maybe if it's the Vikings would be one three and one, which I thought was a bit harsh. You said both these teams yeah. might be worse than their record. I'm like, one of these teams is one three and one, Rowan. Like, oh, they should be uh, <laughs> yeah. so one two and one rather. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think the Vikings that that's a real problem. Uh, Philly look that that the division there in is such a fucking mess. That I think yeah. they probably can come back from two and three, but I think yeah, huge game for the Vikings that they really need to do this if they're going to keep pace with um, like a Packers team that just keeps you know doing enough and the Bears team that looks like it might actually be good this year. Um, Rams at the Seahawks. Yeah, I'm not. Even, I'm going to spare me on this one. I'm going to take this one. Uh, the Rams look really good. The Seahawks. Oh my god, like bad. Everyone, you know, their best defensive player is injured. They're a mess on both sides of the ball. Um, there's a real lack of function. They finally get the wrong game going, but can't actually really do anything good with it. Um, yeah, they're reliant on a fat Polish man to boot the ball really hard and win them games. I, I think my, this is going to be a genuine hope for this game is that you know Seattle are good enough to run the ball, maybe to get a few field goals. And that will shorten the amount of time in play. <laughs> so the Rams can only score like twenty something points. Well, this is uh, we saw last season what happened to Seattle when uh, the Rams really got going. I'm just hoping to avoid something like that. Yeah, again. I'm not. I'm not. As much as that run game looked improved, I'm not really thinking this will be the week for that to pop off. Given that Rams defensive front, to be completely honest with you. But you never know. Uh, hope springs eternal, so let's hope it's merely a uh, humbling loss and a totally crushing and humiliating one. Um, oh god, Arizona! Oh god, uh, yeah, Arizona versus CJ Beathard. Arizona at San Francisco. Uh, we've all gone for San Francisco, albeit extremely reluctantly, from Connor, who said, "Oh, San Fran." I guess. Uh, Ronan, why San Fran? Yeah, I think you know we were pleasantly surprised with CJ Beathard, uh, except for his willingness to basically get himself killed. Um, <laughs> Assuming that he does, like he was led back in, so concussion is presumably not a problem. Uh, and I think just that San Francisco team, they've accumulated so much talent over the years uh, that they should be okay to go. If they do it against the Chargers defense, I think they can do something against Arizona. I think Arizona, they're just, they're so kind of turgid right now in offense that unless Josh Rosen, what we saw in the fourth quarter, is what's actually going to happen from here on out, I think San Francisco should have enough. Uh, to beat what has been an absolutely terrible Arizona team. Yeah, I think Arizona are really one of those teams that we're not going to pick to win until they actually win a game, re- yeah. realistically. Um, interesting fact, like, remember we said about um, uh, earlier about George Kittle when we were doing the preview pods way back, and I was like, no, no, George Kittle is only good with C.J. Beathard. And I was a little bit wrong, he was having a decent season. But look at what fucking happened when C.J. Beathard came in. Look at George Kittle's numbers. Like C.J. Beathard oh, doesn't, CJ Beathard doesn't know there are any other receivers on that team other than George Kittle. I called it last week. I said the tight ends would benefit from CJ Beathard. Absolutely. So. Uh, yeah, just wow. Okay. I mean, six or 121, five and a touchdown. Like, absolutely ridiculous. The next best receiver got 52 yards. George Kittle. Like, oh, he's loving this. He is loving this. Okay. Dallas at Houston, the Battle of Texas or something. Um, we've gone for Houston across the board. Well, technically, I've said kill me and then Houston. Um, this game is between two teams that are way, way worse than we thought they were going to be. And to be honest, we didn't think they were going to be that great in the first place. Um, I think Houston just look a little more functional, look a little bit better. We have seen a bit more life out of Dallas. And we're like, oh, Cole Beasley, he's a receiver. Okay, let's just throw him the ball. Loads cool. Um, but overall, yeah, Dallas, ooh, they, they were basically beat Detroit because of some incredibly poor tackling on a single run from Ezekiel Elliott. 
They probably should not have won that game, although, again, I think it was one of those ones where a tie would have been fair. Houston limped past the dysfunctional Colts team, but I think we saw a bit more in that pass rush. We saw a bit more, I think, pizzazz in the receiving game. Uh, so I think that's going to be enough to, at home, beat a yeah. pretty poor Dallas team. Dallas so, is just so boring. It's just I haven't watched it. Like Dallas and Tennessee, and there's a couple of other teams, mostly those two, are teams I just don't want to talk about or watch this season because they're just crushingly bad. And to be honest, at heart, the Seahawks are kind of in that category now at the moment. Oh, but they're, they're in just, the bar. Like, they're 2-2, like they're two and two, but they're really... Yeah, like they're, 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 they're a hard team to watch, though, you know? They're yeah, a hard yeah, team yeah. to watch right now. Um, Thank you, yeah, Russell Wilson bullshit magic just isn't isn't happening to the same degree. I don't know what that's about. I want to see more of him like doing like running forty yards around in the pocket and then it's just not there. I don't know. Uh, final one, we've got Rona's pick of the week, Washington at New Orleans. Uh, myself and Fizzle have both gone for New Orleans. Connor has gone for Washington, so I guess I'll try and defend his pick uh, afterwards. But Ronan, do you want to talk us through this one? Yeah, no, I am like I I see what Connor's going for. Uh, the Mazungus uh, they've had two good games. Out of three, that's that's a pretty good record, and I think that it's very obvious what their strategy is on offense. It is run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, pass to a tight end. Uh, they, their wide receivers don't exist except for one Paul Richardson long touchdown. Like they have done literally nothing. Uh, but Jordan Reed is good, so maybe that can work. Like Jordan Reed and Vernon Davis are pretty good tight ends. Um, so more Adrian Peterson basically in what is a kind of revenge game after getting cut for Alvin Kamara. Can't really complain about that afterwards. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but I think new, like I think I, I'm interested because you know the Mazungus they're a solid team but now we have New Orleans who obviously lost week one against Tampa Bay but since then they got into a shootout with Atlanta they kind of struggled their way through against the New York Giants but I'm personally of the belief that New Orleans are a team after a, you know, a sketchy September their defense is starting to mold together something as they get against Giants their offense obviously they can get Mark Ingram back. They can remake that backfield. Michael Thomas is on fire. Drew Brees can take more of a complimentary role, which he's obviously excellent at. Uh, Drew Brees is excellent at quarterback in regardless of what the game plan is. And I think just for me, it's just really interesting to see that against a solid NFC contender, someone who I expect to be kind of in the NFC East or perhaps wildcard race, can New Orleans go up that next gear and show what I expected to see them in the preseason, which is see them as a Super Bowl contender in a you know NFC where the Rams are running away with it. That's why I'm really interested in this game. Like It could easily turn into a blowout, and if it isn't a blowout, uh, if New Orleans can stick it into a close game and get those close wins that they didn't manage, like, that they managed against Atlanta. Uh, so Washington, they're kind of an interesting foil to the more interesting team of New Orleans. <laughs> And I think, That's so, whatever, depending how this game goes, our kind of idea of the ceiling for this New Orleans team could change a lot. Personally, I hope the ceiling could be infinite because I think Drew Brees is, what, is due to that next Super Bowl. And it's just such an exciting team to watch when they're on, on top form like we saw last season. And so I want to see more of them and less of this, the Mazungus. So go New Orleans. Yeah, I think that, that's perfectly reasonable. I will make a, a note of caution on the defense. Um, it was against New York, and we talked about their deficiencies earlier, and I think this might be falling the trap when I was like, oh, the pass, pass rush looks amazing. And then it was like, nope, that's just the Texans are absolutely dog shit. Um, so we'll see. I, yeah, I think you've pretty much, you've pretty much summed this up. I, I, I think, yeah, mm, I don't know if Washington are going to be able to win this one. I think the, the Green Bay thing might be coloring the perception Connor has here, but uh, that's a pretty hobbled Green Bay team. So, we'll see. They are coming off by. They'll be fresh. But, uh, yeah, New Orleans seem to be pretty hot right now. And uh, when things weren't working against the Giants, they were like, all right, Alan Kamara. They've got a lot of options. And, of course, they'll have Ingram back. 
So that's uh, yeah, I think that's that's all of the picks. Um, we're going to be we're, we're not doing too badly this season, I think, um, but we're doing pretty badly. But that's that's standard. Look, I mean, <laughs> if you actually ever look at those guys who do the picks professionally or as part of their like reporting job, they're also shit at their jobs. So that's fine. Um, yeah. Uh, anything else that we should be him forgetting? No, I think that pretty much covers it. Uh, once cool. again, we say good luck to Connor uh, yep. with your exams as they come up. Uh, yeah. And, you know, hopefully some of these games can turn out to be a bit better than we expect. Uh, but otherwise, we're fine. As for picks, I would say, yeah, the NFL is a lot harder. Uh, and, well, the NFL is harder in some ways than uh, football. Because in football, apparently the secret is picking draws. Yes, uh, it is. That is where the the money, money is. is. Yep. Apparently, Mark Lawrence, in, uh, picking Mark Lawrence, who's an absolute idiot, uh, in Premier League picks can make you money if you just play kinds of draws, basically. <laughs> Hey, it works. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, that's the problem. The NFL, not enough ties. That's the problem. Fuck you, Frank Reich. <laughs> why are you... Why, 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 why is your name that? Like, I don't get Frank Reich, like, that is the German for Frankish Kingdom. Like, I, I, this as a historian, this is just, like, it hurts me. Like, why would you name your... Is it an accident? Did his parents know what they were doing? Were they just massive fans of Charlemagne? I, I don't... It's just weird. It's like a weird thing to call your kid. Why would you call your kid a first name that combined with your second name means something completely different? Like, not not settling is the problem with with those types of things in the past. <laughs> yeah. That's 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 exactly it. Uh, the the if if Charlemagne had merely stopped with Saxony and not gone south into the Spanish March, but he was like, no, we won't settle for a tie with the Basques, and then Roncesvalles Pass happened. Except it didn't actually, but you know, whatever. Like nobody was actually writing things down then because nobody could fucking write. That's also not true. History is fascinating. Go read it. I've completely lost the thread of what I'm talking about. And he, oh yeah, Frank Reich's parents, assholes. Frank Reich, also an asshole. Sorry about it. So that's been all four quarters. Thanks very much for listening. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, usually like hit us up on social media, but like we really need to do a better job of running some of those social media accounts. Um, we tried putting Connor in charge of the Twitter once, and uh, he immediately lost the password and started liking porn tweets. So yeah, I don't know. It's all going well. He's now actually going off to be campaign director for Ted Cruz. <laughs> yeah, remember that time Ted Cruz liked a porn tweet? That was fucking weird. Uh, also, I hope Ted Cruz loses his fucking Senate re-election because he's a slug in human skin. And uh, on that note, <laughs> it's goodbye from me. Goodbye from Ronan. Bye. Uh, this has been All Four Quarters. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Or, well, rant at you next week, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs>